All right, Harvard. Have you ever heard of Harvard? Harvard uh, University, East Coast, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, one of my brothers went to Harvard, spent some time there, uh, and he actually graduated, which was awesome, right? And he got all the brains. I didn't. I, I can beat him in a race, though, so that's good. Uh, Harvard, in the 30s, decided to do a 75-year study on individuals, one of the longest studies done on, on human life. And what they wanted to research was what, in, in someone's life, what kind of things contribute to a good life. How can someone, over the course of their life, live a good life? And they came up with a number of things. They said, look, there's some things that help. Education is a helpful thing. Uh, those that we researched over 75 years, if they had a good education, if they had an education, it contributed to a good life. Uh, they said a stable family. So if there was a family environment that was fairly stable, that that would create opportunities for a good life long term, you know, over the long haul. Um, healthy habits, so exercise and eating habits, seeing doctors, all that kind of stuff. That contributed 75 years. Again, one of the longest studies done on, on humans in, in the United States, uh, 75 years, uh, healthy habits, stable family, education, those are all good. But there was one thing above everything else that contributed to one of the most fulfilling lives that could be lived. Do you know what that one thing was? All these different things. Church, I heard church, I heard different things. Love. At the end of the study, 75-year study, as they started to summarize and figure out what was it that created the fullest life, the best kind of life for those, those people that they studied over 75 years, love was the one thing. They said that those who lived the most vibrant life were people who learned to receive and give love to others to receive love from others and to give love, love to others. Here's the statement. The only thing that really matters in life, based on this study, the only thing that really matters in life is your relationship to other people. That was it. 75-year study, and it came down to love. Now, church, this is where we should say, Jesus has been talking about that for 2,000 years. Like Harvard confirmed what Jesus said 2,000 years ago when they asked him, what's the most important thing that we can do in life? And Jesus said, love God and love others. And if you do, if you do that, everything in life will, will be hinged on these two things. You do that, you fulfill everything else. Like love is the thing, love is the thing that will give you the most fulfilling kind of life. But it's not that easy. It's difficult to learn how to love other people. A long marriage is a difficult proposition. You have to work at it. It doesn't just come easily, does it? Those of you who are married and you've been married for a while, it just doesn't come easy. It's something that you have to, love is something that you have to choose on a daily basis. It's not just a once and done proposition. This serve week is about building into the life of our church practical expressions of love so that we learn on a moment's notice how to love others in expressive ways, not just in word, but also in deed. Now, we started this whole series uh, to and through with this one statement. Here it is. God is good. Let's see if you can say that with me. Ready? Here we go. God is, do you believe it to be true today? Do you believe that God is good? Some of you are like, I'm not so sure. Like, maybe my life doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. 
Maybe circumstances don't look like what, but, but I want you to know God is good. And God's good because he's given us breath. You are sustained by the creator of the universe. You, you weren't just created. You're actually sustained by the breath that he breathed into you. God is good to you. He's good to me. He's given us this beautiful world to explore. Um, maybe you're a mountains person. Maybe you're a, you know, a Colorado person. Any Colorado people in the room like mountains? You'd love to be in the mountains? Yes. It's gorgeous in Colorado, isn't it? Like stand, I remember my first time at, standing at the top of uh, Winter Park, the mountains there, and some of my friends took me up there. They said they would teach me to ski, so they took me to the top of the mountain. It was, like, they were not friends. They took me to the top of the mountain, and I said, you guys ski down, come back, and maybe I'll have the nerves to ski down at that point. So they went down. I sat at the top of the mountain, and I, I was a boy from Indiana, or I mean from Alabama, grew up in Alabama, never seen mountains like that, overcome with the beauty. And I look at it and I'm like, God is good. Look what he created. Look at God's goodness to us. Uh, some of you are beach people. You guys like the beach? Any California beach fans in the room? Maybe Mission Beach or something like that? Newport Beach, somewhere over there, something like that? Have you ever been to Florida beaches? Gorgeous. Any Hawaii fans in the room? Yes, Hawaii beaches aren't bad. Some of you now are going to tune me out the rest of the morning. But hopefully, when you see that picture in your mind, you would know God is good. God created this world, and he owns this world, and he opens this world to us to enjoy. He gives us the beauty of this world. God is good. I, I don't know if I can speak for everybody in the room, but my guess is most of the people in this room uh, at night, when you go to bed, you have a roof over your head. How many of you have a roof over your head? No, you don't have to raise your hands. Like, God is good. Like, you have a roof over your head. Most of you don't just have a roof over your head. You, you are able to put a roof over your car to protect your car. I mean, how good is God? We don't just have cars. We have homes for our cars. Like, God gave us homes for our cars. It's unbelievable. How good is God? Some of you are, like, rolling your eyes like, this is crazy. Listen, the biblical authors recognize that everything good came from above. Everything. And I think we miss it all the time. The goodness of God. Some of us, you know, we, we have to park like all the way back at a, you know, Safeway or Target or Walmart or wherever it is, Albertsons or Fry's. I want to be sure to name them all just so I don't make anybody mad. But you park all the way to the back and you think, I have to walk all the way. Like there was no parking in the front. And it's like, you can walk. How good is God? Like he gave you two legs and your legs know what they're supposed to do. They know how to put one foot in front of the other. It's unbelievable. How good is God? Some of your feet aren't working great right now, but still, you can still walk. Like God is good and we should acknowledge the goodness of God. And when we begin to acknowledge and thank God for all the goodness in our life, it moves us to a place of generosity, which is what this series is all about. Becoming generous people. God is so good that he gave so much. He gave his one and only son. He gave us this world. He gave us passion. He gave us breath. He gave us abilities and tools. He gave us minds that can think and create. And listen, in the, in the Old Testament, Proverbs, one of my favorite scriptures, like I've written this one down in the last, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I love this this, this passage, this idea that when we learn to refresh others, to multiply the goodness of God to others, that it, it like works in this reverse way that we ourselves are, are refreshed. 
It's not when we hold on to things tightly. It's not when we hoard or when we, we store up for ourselves. It's actually when we, when we refresh others, when we give God's goodness, when we, when we bless others in the same way that we've been blessed, when we speak words of encouragement to those around us that we ourselves will be encouraged. I think you could, you could inter, interchange those words. Those who encourage others will themselves be encouraged. Have you found that to be true in your life? When you speak words of encouragement, it has this strange way of coming back to you. Listen, I don't think that's karma. I think it's called the Holy Spirit that works in and among those around us. Uh, sometimes it's just a smile. Now, um, I wish you every now and then could have my perspective, like that you could stand up here. Some of you are like, I don't want to stand up there. I don't want to do that. I wish sometimes you could have my perspective because um, sometimes like we sing about joy and we talk about joy. And then I stand here and I'm like, man, I, I just wish you would tell your face about the joy you're singing about right now. Because sometimes your face doesn't express the goodness of God in the way that you're, you're sitting here. And Robin tells me that I do not have the most joyful of faces. I know that. Like she's reminded me of that plenty of times. All the time, she reminds me. <laughs> Matt, you need to, like, are you, are you happy? Like, do you have joy? And I'm like, absolutely. And she's like, well, will you tell your face that? Like, because <laughs> it's good for you to let your face know that you're joyful. And, and here's the deal. They say this. They've done studies about smiling to other people. When you smile to others, what do they do? They smile back. Look, Scripture confirms what we're learning in the world in social sciences, that what we give to others oftentimes comes right back to us, and even more so, the generous will prosper. It's not just talking about money, although I think money is a part of it. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Another quick study. Some of you are going to think for a few minutes, like, are we in a college lecture? Is this a class setting? Or what, are we in church? Like, what's going on? So I just want to tell you about another study. This study was done, unfortunately, by the University of Notre Dame. Now, many of you know that um, I'm a fan of Dabo Sweeney and uh, Clemson Tigers. They got beat by Notre Dame yesterday, which is too bad. Not much good comes out of Notre Dame, but they did a good study that I'd already, I was already going to talk about, so I figured I'd better go ahead and talk about it. Notre Dame uh, has been studying what they call the science of generosity. They actually have an entire academic center now built around generosity and how generosity happens, what it motivates, what it creates, the science of it, and they say that they are fighting for a more generous world. Here's what they're finding in their study. Generous people are more likely to be happier and healthier than non-generous people. Like people who are generous with their money, with their time, and with their abilities tend to be happier and healthier. Their health is affected by this. They are not only less likely to be depressed, but people who are generous are also more likely to live with a deep sense of purpose. And we know, just in humanity, that when you live with a deep sense of purpose, it gives you a more full life because you live for something beyond yourself. Are you with me still? It's incredible what they're coming to understand. Now, out of this, out of this study, uh, a Harvard Business School professor and a University of British Columbia psychology professor began to study specifically financial generosity. They wanted to see the effects of financial generosity in groups of people. Now, this study is fascinating to me for all kinds of reasons. They took some money 
And through a variety of exper experiments, they gave free money to sports teams, to sales teams, and then some randomly chosen individuals, okay? So they gave free money away. Anybody want to sign up for this study? Just free money. They just gave away money. But they gave, they, they gave them specific instructions. To half of the people, half of the teams, half of the sales, sales teams, they said, you can spend this money on whatever you want. It's completely yours. Do whatever you want with the money. To half of the teams, the other half, the other 50%, they said, you can do whatever you want with this money, but you have to give it away. You have to spend it on someone that's not yourself. Are you with me? Does it make sense? So they did all these experiments around these two ideas. And here's what they found. Repeatedly, the salespeople who spent money on others rather than themselves made more sales in their job than those who spent the money on themselves. They became better salespeople through generosity, giving money away. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, that's just a coincidence that that happens. So they looked at the sports teams. How did the sports teams perform? They found that the intramural sports teams that they gave money to and who spent money on others actually dominated their leagues, winning 25% more games than those who spent money on, your, on themselves. Is that crazy? Just coincidence, I know. It's just coincidence. Some of you are like rolling your eyes. That's crazy. Con uh, consistently, individuals, when they were interviewed at the end of the experiments, individuals and groups said that they were happier and they felt closer to people they didn't even know based on the generosity versus the selfishness in spending. It's crazy. Generosity does unbelievable things to us. Financial generosity, generosity with our time, our, uh, our gifts, our abilities. When we give ourselves away to other things, we ourselves are more joyful people. So let's talk about generosity. Now here's what I want to do in the little bit of time that we have left. I want to talk about generosity in three buckets. And I want to talk about generosity in three buckets because I know in one of these buckets, most of you might tune me out. But I'll wake you back up at the end of that bucket and get you to the next bucket. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. So the first bucket, I want to talk about our stuff. All right? The stuff that you have. So in your mind, can you picture... Last week, I offended some people by talking about closets that had too much stuff. But can you, can you, imagine, uh, can you imagine your closet in your mind? Some of you, you got it? Or how about your garage? Can you imagine your garage, pantry, storage unit? Do you have a storage unit, like something? Are you with me still? Maybe? Can you, can you picture something right now? Anything? I'm just kidding. Okay, picture your house and the stuff in your house. Now, nowhere in scripture does it talk about stuff being evil in and of itself. Nowhere in scripture. I think what happens is, at times, stuff begins to control us rather than us owning our stuff, and it's in that that I think God's generosity hits a dead-end street, that it, it isn't multiplied beyond us. Uh, one of the, the books that I've been reading um, is a book that, says, that talks about our accumulation of stuff, and it, and it says this, we have this uncanny ability to accumulate things that are not essential to living. They're not evil. But it's just the stuff that we accumulate over time. And we, we store these things up. We accumulate these stuffs. Yet we lack the practice of releasing the acquired junk when it no longer serves a purpose in our lives. Now, here's what I want you to picture in your, in your house. Is there something in your house that maybe you bought five years ago? And you bought it for a specific purpose. 
And, and you, you used it for that purpose. And then you put it away into another place, maybe a closet, maybe the garage, maybe somewhere in your pantry. And you thought to yourself, I'm going to keep this in case I ever need it again. And you haven't touched it in five years. Is there, don't nudge the person next to you. That is not helpful in this conversation. Do you have anything like that in your house? The generosity of God, the things that we've acquired sometimes, they begin to own us by taking up stuff and time and resources rather than us releasing the goodness of God to bless someone else. Listen, God has blessed you with so much. He's blessed me with so much. And so often it hits a dead end because we just hold on to everything rather than using it for what it needs to be used for and then blessing someone else with it. I want to tell you, if you went through your house this week and, uh, okay, don't, seriously, don't yell at your spouse and tell them they need to watch this again or anything like that. But if you went through your house this week and simply pulled out all the things that you don't use anymore and found creative ways to bless other people with all of that stuff, that's generosity. And I believe you would find so much joy in giving away what God has blessed you with, that that blessing would simply be multiplied to others. Um, Excess, we could define excess uh, as the thing that we could give away today and it wouldn't change a single aspect of our tomorrow. And my guess is in this room, in my life, in my house, my wife's gonna talk to me after this service about this very thing, that there are things in my life that I could give away and it wouldn't affect anything about my tomorrow, but it might bring great joy to someone else. Do you have something like that in your, in your house, in your possession? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know that anybody could use that. I'm telling you, there are things that you have that you've been storing that you, you probably will never need again that you could bless someone else with. And that is God's generosity being multiplied through you. It's an unbelievable pr- uh, principle. God said with Abraham, do you remember Abraham? Do you know who Abraham is in the Old Testament? He said, I want to bless you. And Abraham, you're going to become a blessing to many nations. It's this principle of multiplied generosity. What we receive from God, he, he encourages us to, to pass that along to others. Uh, there's a statement. And I'm not going to beg you to say this. You don't have to say it. If it's true of you, feel free to say it. And here's the statement. Here it is. I have more than I need. A little mumbling. I have more than I need. I have more than I need. Have more than I need. Do you have more than you need? I mean, than you really need. Do you, do you have more than you really need? Yeah. All of us. I mean, those who live where we live, come on, God has been good, has he not? God has been good. And there's nothing wrong with his goodness to us. When it hits a dead end, listen, that is something that we've done to stop the flow of God's goodness to the world. If you have more than you need, I wonder what God would work in you. Now listen, this is not about guilt. I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure you, you understand this. This isn't about guilt. It's all about gratefulness, recognizing where the goodness comes from. And gratefulness, these studies find, gratefulness leads to generosity and what has been a blessing to us can be multiplied to be a blessing to someone else. Now, I, wanna, I just wanna challenge you, that bucket your stuff, what you have at home. Go through your stuff. Take some time. Look at it. Uh, I've read some books that talk about uh, kind of simplifying and decluttering and all that kind of stuff. If you haven't worn it in two years, come on. 
you're probably never going to wear it. Who could you bless with that? There's some people who need those things, you know, who are struggling. And so go through your stuff. Okay, I'm going to talk about a different bucket. Here's the second bucket. Money. <laughs> I'm going to talk about money. I hate talking about money. I, it's, it's like my, one of my least favorite things. You know who talked about money more than he talked about just about anything else? Jesus, yeah. Some of you are like, I'm in church. I think I'm supposed to say Jesus here. You're right, Jesus. Jesus talked about money. If you go like, look at the number of times Jesus talked about money, it's off the charts in terms of everything he talks about. And here's why. Because Jesus knew that money competes for our hearts in ways that nothing else in this world competes for your heart. And he knows that if money has our hearts, then God doesn't. He even says, like, you can't give your heart to two different things. You just can't do it. And so he talks a lot about money because he wants to free us up to give our hearts to God and not allow money to have a hold and a grip on us. Now, I grew up, um, I grew up in probably a lower middle class uh, kind of financial situation in Alabama. Uh, my dad grew up in a really poor situation. He was born in Loosedale, Mississippi on a farm. Um, they really struggled. Christmases where they had no gifts. Some of you have lived that same kind of life. They just didn't have any money for anything extra. And he would have to lie after Christmas to tell people he got gifts that he didn't get or he had to try to, you know, just skip the conversation. Many of us have never known that kind of life, but some, some have walked through that, kind of more of a poor uh, life. And so my dad came out of that. My mom came out of a, probably a middle-class kind of background. She grew up in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, the beaches in Fort Myers are gorgeous, like God's goodness was all around her all the time, right? She loved it. And, uh, but she had a little bit more than my, my dad had. But when they came into marriage, they had what I would probably describe as a little bit of a scarcity mentality. In other words, like, uh, there's only so much to go around, and you should hold on to everything that you get because if you don't, you might lose it and then you won't have enough. And sometimes when you grow up in a, in a, a poor environment, you have that kind of mentality and it's, it's hard to be generous. Now, sometimes generosity actually flows through people who have less than those who have more. In fact, the studies are overwhelming that those who, in terms of percentages, those who have less give more percentage based than those who have more. That's kind of a scary thing, but it's true. Um, so my parents grew up in this. The, the one thing that they uh, decided to do early on in their marriage was tithe. And it's this concept of giving to the local church 10% of everything that they made. And this was what they believed would, would build generosity into their life. And I think it did. Uh, to this day, they're both more generous people than probably what their families were growing up. They just learned the principle of, of generosity through what was called tithing. Uh, some of you grew up in the church, you know about that concept, tithing, giving 10% of what you make to the local church to support the ministry of God. So that's what they did. That's what they taught me to do. And so for me, oftentimes, generosity was wrapped up in this practice of tithing. But just like anything, tithing can become just a practice that you do and you don't even understand the, the generosity that's a part of it. You can give a lot of stuff to check a box off the list and still not be a generous person. And Robin has helped me so much in this way that when people, we interact with people who have needs or who are going on mission trips and they ask us for money, like kids that we were a part of their lives a long time ago, like we should be generous and not just say our generosity is wrapped up in this kind of giving. We should be generous in other ways. 
And so this, this concept of financial understanding that God has given us so much more than we need. And his goodness to me can either be uh, a dead-end street or it can be something that is multiplied by the way that I pass it on. So I want to read a passage of scripture um, from Paul in the New Testament. Fair? To talk about money. And Paul was writing to a young pastor. So I'll take the young part, uh, the young pastor. So maybe he was writing to someone like me. And I'm just going to read to you what Paul said was important for churches to begin to understand. And here it is. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in money, which is so unreliable. Now, time out. The problem with this is usually when we see that word rich, we start thinking about other people. If we define rich in this way, you have more than you need, then maybe it's talking about us. And I think it is. So just assume that you're rich for a few minutes, okay? Here we go. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in money. Listen, because money is unreliable, isn't it? Like money is unreliable. Money's fun. Can I get an amen? Like, it's a lot more fun to have, some of you are like, amen? Am I supposed to amen that? Like, it's a lot more fun to have money than to not have money, right? But money is unreliable. It can come and go. And many of you who have owned businesses that have been super successful, you know that to be true, that money can come, but it can also go really quickly. Like, money is not the thing to put your trust in. I think this is what Jesus was getting after, too. He said, look, your trust should be in God. God is the provider. He's the one who richly provides everything that we need for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you, but he doesn't want it to be a roadblock with you. He wants it to be multiplied. They, the rich, that's us, should be rich in good deeds and generous to those in need, always being ready to share. And by doing this, we will store up for ourselves a treasure as a good foundation for the future so that we might experience life. It's this idea that the study from Notre Dame, the study from uh, Harvard, like the, the, the studies that are going on all along social science are finding this thing to be true, that when we give generously to others, financially, with our stuff, all that, when, when we're generous, we actually begin to experience life. We store up some sort of foundation that actually becomes this rich life for us in the here and now. So let me just, uh, as I wrap up this bucket, and I'll wake some of you back up to get out of the money bucket, um, but as I wrap this up, let me just encourage you, if, if you've never given to, to support the mission uh, and you consider this your church home, I wanna encourage you to start with the church, to give to the local church, to give it a try to jump into the mission of God by giving generously out of the overflow of what God's given you. And when you do that, we, we get to together do some things that none of us can do on our own. For example, uh, we've, we've adopted a couple of uh, group foster homes that we're gonna begin working with on a regular basis. Uh, I had a family come to me and say, Matt, we wanna give over and above our tithe to make that possible. So we're gonna give what we normally give to the church, but we're gonna give $50,000 a year on top of that to support foster kids because it's such a huge need in, in, in the city. Now that's being generous. Like that's saying God's blessed us with something, we're gonna bless others. We're gonna allow that blessing to flow through us. Now not all of us can do that, right? Some of you are like, amen, I, like, I can't do that. I can't write a check like that. Many of us can't write a check like that. But we can do something. 
we can put something in to, to, to entrust and to, to, to multiply that blessing. I have, a, I have this idea, this vision, and um, I, I'll, I'll speak of this real quick. We're going to figure out how to do this as a church together. Um, I, I just, the, the old model of church where we just hope kids and students show up to church just isn't going to work anymore in our culture. And I want to have a male and female um, call them youth pastors, call them something, that are actually in the schools every single day during the week, building relationships with kids so they know the love of God and come to know his grace, and their lives are transformed by that. I don't want to just sit here and wait for kids to come. I actually want to get into the schools and to be on mission because we do not want to lose a generation I mean, come on. We don't want to lose a generation. We actually, and, and, and it just, sometimes that takes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes that takes uh, our time. Sometimes it takes our ability. Sometimes it takes our money. And sometimes it takes all of those things, which this will take all of those things. And we're going to, that's what we're going to be about as a church. So when you give here, you're giving to these kind of things. You're giving to, in uh, Berlin, fighting uh, sex trafficking. You're giving to that when you give here. Uh, where prostitution is legal. You're, you're giving to them when you give here. We want to be a part of something together in a generous way. Okay, so that's the money bucket. Our stuff, our money, and now I want to talk just for a minute about our time and our abilities. Um, God has given you and me gifts and abilities for a specific reason. Uh, I heard this stat, I think I've shared it here before um, in the last couple months, and the stat says that in the, in the American church, so the church that we're a part of, that only 10 to 20% of people who, who claim to be Christians know their spiritual gifts and use their spiritual gifts to serve other people. Now, um, stats are interesting things. What that means is if the church is a body, Imagine the church as a body, which Jesus often talks about. That means this body, in the United States at least, only 10 to 20% of this body knows what it's supposed to do and does what it's supposed to do. 80% of the church in the United States doesn't know what to do and isn't doing anything to serve others. Now, does that bother you like it bothers me? I mean, no wonder the church doesn't have the influence that we should have in the world today because we're not doing anything. We get together, we sing some songs, which is great. We should worship God in that way. We study the Bible, which is great. We should study the Bible. But listen, if we're not serving and multiplying generously what God has given us, what are we doing, church? What are we doing? Like we've also got to give our time and our abilities in the ways that God has gifted us to serve other people inside the walls and outside the walls. And that's what um, Serve Week's all about. Now, I want to close with a, a story. And um, one of my favorite people in the world, um, she's, I mean, she's like this sermon. I wish she would come and, I wish she would have preached this sermon. Some of you are like, I wish she would have too. Um, she's an introvert. She doesn't like attention. When, when I moved here in 2008, um, she invited me to go to lunch. And Robin, my wife, she invited us to lunch. And uh, we had no idea what we were in store for. We, she said, you, you can meet me at McCormick Ranch. 
she said, you can either pick me up or we'll meet you there. And um, we'll meet at McCormick Ranch. And on Thursdays, they have this buffet at McCormick Ranch. And they know me. And I, ha I have a table there. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but okay. So we get in the car, we drive, we get to McCormick Ranch. And like we get there and everybody knows Miss Esther. Like everybody knows her. She's like famous. I'm like, how does everybody know you? She knows the cooks. She knows all the servers. She knows everything. They know what she likes and what she doesn't like. And um, apparently she's been doing this for years. Like she's been taking people to lunch just to sit and have lunch because it's something she feels like God's given her is the ability to entertain and be with people. She loves stories and all that kind of stuff. Um, since then, McCormick Ranch has closed what they do on Thursdays. And so now she does it in her house. It's unbelievable. Sometimes I get to go to lunch in her house. And her lunch isn't like a 30-minute lunch. It's like this, this ain't no McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like it's a four-hour lunch. It's awesome. And you sit and you talk. And, and she's just been this incredible blessing to me. Um, but she's been this, this blessing to so many more people than I could ever imagine. She, she writes articles pointing people to the goodness and the grace of God the Father. And she's written articles that have been read by thousands of people. God has given her this little ability to, to write some words on a piece of paper. And she's an introvert, so she doesn't like to sit up here and talk or to sing or anything like that. She would tell you she has no musical ability. She will tell you that. And, but God gave her the ability to write some words that made sense and inspired people and encouraged people. And so that's what she's been doing. She's 91 now, 91. And um, a few years ago, a number of years ago, when this church started, a couple years into the church, she, after her husband passed, uh, passed away, she, she decided to sell her house down off Camelback and move up here to be a part of this community. She gave up so much to live in this area, this humble little place, because she believed in the work of God. And it's just been this multiplication of the goodness of God to her that she's just, she didn't want to stop with her. She's doing all these things I'm not allowed to tell you about too, and she's in the service, so I can't, I can't tell you. But she's an inspiration. I just wanted you to hear from her, just some little encouragement. So, um, like I said, she's 91, Miss Esther. She's awesome, and uh, I love her so much. And I want, I want our church to live our faith like she has lived her faith. I want us to be a community like she's tried to build around the table so many times with many of us. And I want us just to take the gifts that God has given us and not let them just, I don't want us just to hoard the gifts that God, I want, us, I want us to use them for his good in the world. And listen, the studies tell us that if we do that, we'll actually experience a better life than we could if we don't. So anyway, okay, this is Esther. Esther, one of the things that I have loved about getting to know you is every now and then I'll preach a sermon and you're always one of the most encouraging people in our church and someone who always smiles, which I think is a gift God gave you to encourage others. But every now and then you'll walk up to me and you'll say, I've written an article about that. I'd love to hear, and I think 
we would all love to hear a little bit about how God had, had gifted you and how you saw that coming to fruition in the world, like in writing. Well, I think it was more, um, some people say that God called me to, for this or that. Well, I don't think God really called me to writing. It was just that I thought I should do something. And uh, being an introvert, no musical talent, well, I thought, well, what else is left? writing it was while we were still in business while my husband and I were still in business I had written a couple of um, plays a missionary play and an Easter play I think and and had them published and so um, and maybe another article or two and I thought well that's what I'll do when when um, we retire but um, the publishers always sent them back and I was looking through a um, a pile of rejection, rejections one day, I noticed a, um, a note on one of the rejection slips. It, it had been typed, and I didn't notice it the first time around, and it said, we recently covered this subject. Would you like to send us something else? Oh, sure. And uh, I did, and, and it was accepted. And, um, and then every time uh, I thought I wanted to quit um, something like that happened. You know, many people, as, as they kind of approach their upper years, start thinking that they're done, you know, that, that God's, you know, their, their life is, is over and, and that God can't use them anymore. But I, wrote, I read an article that you wrote recently where you felt like God was saying, I'm not done yet. You know, you, well, you still have more. Uh, Pastor Maxwell um, said, if you're, um, well, she was speaking to an older audience and she said, pray this prayer every morning. Lord, help me make the greatest contribution I am capable of making in whatever time I have left. So, okay. Uh, and it has become more, I was in my 60s when she said it. Uh, in 90s, it becomes more, of an urgent prayer. Uh, you've been praying that prayer, and you feel like in, in some ways God has given you a new um, kind of a passion to, to do some things here uh, right. with your life. What, what, what is that? I still like to do the entertaining, writing, and well, we talked, you focus on the, um, the um, foster. Yeah, the foster, okay. foster home. Yes, and um, uh, I have, um, well, it's actually Wilma's, um, uh, Wilma's my best friend. <laughs> uh, one of her granddaughters uh, does foster home care. So I want to partner with her if it works out. You're an inspiration to more people than you know. You take the blessings that God has given to you and you allow him to bless others through what you offer back to him. And sometimes that's an article, but sometimes it's through a, a, a meal, sitting around your table or another table and sharing stories about life. I also know that, that some of you you're, you're doing to bless others in secret ways is, is, is a gift that God has given to you, but you're allowing him to flow through you in the ways that you're exercising that. And so I want you to know what an inspiration you are. Uh, to me, but also to our church family. And it's more than you know. 
<laughs> well, I hope so. So Esther would never want this to be about her. Um, she'd always want, if, if you see something good in her life, she'd want you to see the goodness from her father in heaven. It's not about her. And she's done more than I'm allowed to tell you, and in many different ways, to bless so many people. And what's so inspiring to me is, um, you know, none of us know how much time we have left. Um, she, we started talking about foster care this year. And Esther's first reaction to that is, what could I do? What could I do? Someone who, who you think might, she's done, like she's been the Sunday school teacher. She's done all the things that you, you know, you would think, you, you don't need to do anything. Well done. Like you've done a great, like you don't need to do anything else. And she's like, no, 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 no. God still has something for me. Listen, God has something for Esther, but he also has something for you. Every single one of you. He's given you gifts. He's given you passions. He's planted something deep within you. And listen, as long as you're alive, he's not done. Heaven's all around us. And you want to talk about the change that needs to happen in our world? It starts with us. That's, that's the vision that Jesus had for the church. Like that we would be the change. That we would be the love. That we would be the good that this world desperately needs. So listen, receive the blessings of God with great joy. And he has blessed us, hasn't he? God is good. Receive those blessings from God. But don't be a dead end street for those blessings. Let those blessings be multiplied through you, through your stuff, through your finances, and through your time and abilities. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to sing one last song as we, as we close. God, thank you for your goodness. Uh, you are good, better than we can imagine. And uh, we receive that today. We receive the goodness and the grace and the love that you have poured out on us so much more than we need. And uh, God, we... We don't want to just receive it. We want to multiply it. So help us to do that. I pray your spirit would just nudge us where we, where we need to be nudged. I pray this in the name of Jesus.